Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. begin uh, with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and we just want to praise you and thank you very much, God, for your loving kindness toward us. And thank you, God, for this uh, prophecy that you gave to the Apostle John and which we can now read. And Father, we uh, want to claim the blessing that uh, is very clear to those who are willing to uh, read the words of this prophecy, but not only read them, Father, but to do those things that are contained herein. And so, Father, we pray for insight and understanding as we study. We also pray, Father, for conviction to be among those people, those servants of yours who do your will. We thank you, Father, and we ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, brethren, we are now at uh, Revelation chapter 6. We covered uh, chapters 1 to 5. And we saw this book open up, as I said, with a blessing upon those who are willing to read it and understand it and uh, do those things that are written therein. We then saw Christ personally write to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And uh, that really understanding a symbol of the whole church through time. And so there are lessons in those epistles from Christ himself to the churches for all of us. And for every single church, there was this promise to those who will overcome. And so we understand we must be overcomers. And then we saw uh, in chapter four, the throne room of God. And to see that God is very much in control, even though it's going to look like the world is spiraling out of control and the world is very chaotic. What we actually understand is happening is the will of God, as it is done in heaven, is coming down to earth. And God is now imposing his will on the earth. And he is bringing history to its conclusion, bringing it really to its climax. And ultimately to the return of Jesus Christ, the establishment of his kingdom, and then the arrival of God the Father on earth uh, to dwell with us eternally. So that's where it's all heading, and we jumped ahead. Actually, in chapter 5, we saw that the only person that was worthy to open the scroll with the seven seals was Jesus Christ, our Messiah. He's the only one that could open the seals and actually uh, do God's will of redemption. That no one else, maybe people could open the seal, but they couldn't do what, what's contained therein. Uh, Jesus Christ is the only one that can open the seals, do what's written therein, and, and redeem uh, mankind, specifically redeem Israel, 
and through Israel the rest of mankind. He's the only one because he was pure and holy and lived by the covenant by every word of God and sacrificed himself so that through his blood he could redeem us. We jumped ahead then to uh, chapters 21 and 22 just so we could understand how all of this ends and we got to see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. So we know it. this is all leading to the ultimate good and uh, the ultimate vision that God has from mankind, which took us all the way back to the beginning, uh, which was the original intention that God had when he created Adam. And unfortunately, Adam failed. And so the second Adam has come uh, to redeem us and make us successful so that we can will live in the eternal will of God. So now we're going to come to chapter 6, where we're going to get now into some of these difficult prophecies. And as we do this, I want to remind us, number one, that much of Revelation is symbolic. We saw that right from the get-go, that, that Christ signified what he saw and gave it to John so that John could share it with us, so that we could know the things that are going to take place uh, very soon. But it, it's symbolic. So we have to be very careful as we go through Revelation uh, to, first of all, understand that much of it is symbolic. And then we see through a glass darkly. So we can't always see very clearly what these symbols mean. Sometimes we're going to be guessing. Many times you're going to find me saying, I, I don't know what this means. Uh, and, but as time unfolds, we will begin to see things more clearly. So I'd rather say that I don't know what something means rather than take a guess and then mislead. So um, if I do take a guess, I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm guessing here. You know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but we certainly know that these words are true and every single word of God is going to unfold exactly as he says. So that's uh, one thing that I wanted to say that uh, much of it is symbolic. And uh, there was something else I was going to say, just to just escape my mind. I'm sure it will come back uh, later as we go through these uh, uh, um, prophecies. Oh, I know the other thing I wanted to say was uh, it's, it is all good news. And we must not forget who's on stage. Who's on stage. God has a controversy with his people. He has a controversy with his covenant people. And he has many promises that are outstanding to his covenant people. And what we see in the book of Revelation is all of these covenant promises, all of, the, all of these covenant promises coming to fruition. By the end of Revelation, nothing is outstanding. And all the prophets are really speaking into this, this, this uh, final unfolding of God's will. And so John is constantly making references back to the Old Testament prophets. prophets and, and we need to understand that God has an agenda. And it's an agenda with his covenant people. Mankind, in general, will be collateral damage. But God is raising up uh, empires or, and, and powers to go after his people, to drive his people to repentance. And in the midst of all of this, he has his faithful people, i.e. the church, the ecclesia, who are bearing witness to the true gospel who understand what's going on, who are, who are sounding the alarm, who are giving the warning, and who are preaching the true gospel, and who are saying to Judah, behold your God, who are saying to Israel, come back to the covenant, and who are saying to mankind in general, repent, repent and believe the good news. So, so we can't forget that as we go through this. So with all of that said, let's begin our uh, walk through these uh prophecies beginning in Revelation chapter 6. So let's uh, just go back to Revelation 6 beginning in verse 1. And he says here, uh, so this is after the Lamb is found worthy to open the, the scroll with the seven seals. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So these seals, uh, the scroll has been uh, closed with these seven seals. And he opens one of the seals. And when he opens this seal, uh, John says, And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. So he can't see anything yet, but the, the scroll, the seal has been opened, and what he hears is thunder. And then one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. So he's going to find out what's behind the seal, but right now all he does, all, all he can do is hear the thunder. 
So he says, come and see. Now, these, uh, and I said four beasts. I'm going to try to say four living creatures. When, when, when we're talking about the angels, this word is zoan. It's a living being. So I think beast is the wrong English word here because that will confuse us when he is actually talking about beasts, which are uh, uh, wild animals, which represent uh, those evil empires that are tearing apart God's people. So one of the four living creatures says to him, come and see. Now he's going to see four beasts. Uh, sorry, four um, horse, four, four uh, riders on horses. Now this is not new. This is in Zechariah. If we look at Zechariah beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, where Zechariah says, And I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. In the first chariot were red horses. In the second chariot, black horses. In the third chariot, white horses. And in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. So, so he sees these four different color horses. Uh, and then he says, Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of heaven, which go forth, standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses which are therein go into the north country, and the white go after them, and the grizzled go towards the south country. And the bay went forth and sought to go, that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, Go get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. So, so we see this imagery of these four different color horses going through the earth. We've seen it before. So now what's going to happen is John's going to see these four horsemen with four different color horses, which is a callback to what Zechariah saw. And what Zechariah saw was these horses going through the earth. That's what, we're going to, that's what John's going to see now, but it's a different purpose. Uh, so it looked like in Zechariah's time, these horses were more reporting back to God what was going on. These horsemen now have a very specific purpose. So if we continue, he says... So first he heard the thunder, or he had sound, what it sounded like thunder. What it actually was, was the galloping of these horses. And so it's this loud kind of uh, rumbling that he's hearing. And, he's, and, and the, the living creature says to him, come and see. So he comes and he looks to see what is this sound. And then this is what he sees. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. So, so now he's like, this is amazing. What he sees is actually a white horse. So I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. So he is given authority. He is given rulership. It's clearly an empire. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So what we see in this first horseman is he is given victory. He is given this ability to conquer, and he's a deceiver. A lot of people think that this, or some people think that this horseman represents Jesus Christ. Nothing could be further from the truth. These four horsemen work together. They, they are partners in crime, as it will. And, and, and they work together. And this first one is the foundation of the rest. He's the deceiver. And, and when we see, yes, Christ does ride a white horse, but it's very different. When we look at Revelation 19, when we get there, he saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. So in juxtaposition or in contradistinction to this first horseman who is not called faithful and true. In fact, he's faithless and he's false. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. So again, this first horseman goes forth conquering and to conquer, but it's not in righteousness. His eyes were uh, as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. So this Jesus Christ has many crowns on his head. And he had a name written which no man knew but himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So it's a very different um, image that we see from this first white horse that uh, John describes. Now, a couple of things we want to notice here. Uh, this is a deceiver, number one. He's on a white horse. 
Uh, John hears the sound of thunder before he sees him, and he has a bow in his hand. Now that bow, and, and he's it's a conquering force. He goes forth conquering and to conquer. Now that bow, uh, we know from Hosea, symbolizes military strength. So because God says it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So that was he was going to crush their military strength. Now, if we look at a very interesting uh, hadith here, hadith are these traditions of Muhammad. And the first one we'll look at actually is um, a, a smaller one that says here, the prophet says, uh, the prophet passed by some people who were shooting arrows. And he said, shoot children of Ishmael for your father was an archer. And he's actually uh, correct uh, in, in quoting their father as an archer, because we know from Genesis, uh, if we go to Genesis here, 2120, that God was with Ishmael and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and he became an archer. So this concept of a bow military uh, could be in fact, and, and, and deception could be in fact related to uh, the forces of Ishmael. Now, if we go back to what's called the Sunnah, the Hadith, look at this very interesting Hadith, which I find uh, quite fascinating, that uh, he goes on just some, some nonsense here about his heart being washed, opened up surgery and being washed so that he can be made pure. But then if we go down further, it says, I was then brought a white horse, a white beast, which is called Al-Barak, that means thunder. So Muhammad was brought a horse called thunder bigger than a donkey and smaller than a mule. Its stride was as long as the eye could reach. I was mounted on it, and then we went forth till we reached the lowest heaven. Uh, Gabriel asked for the gate to be opened, and it was said, Who is he? He replied, Gabriel. It was again said, Who is with you? He replied, Muhammad. It was said, Has he been sent for? He, Gabriel, said, Yes. He said, Then the gate was opened, for us, and it was said, Welcome unto him. His is a blessed arrival. Then we came to Adam. So Adam's in the first heaven. Peace be upon him, it says. And he narrated the whole account of the Hadith. The Holy Prophet observed that he met Jesus in the second heaven. So Muhammad is so great, he passes Jesus in the second heaven. Then he meets John the Baptist in the third heaven. Joseph in, in the third. Uh, Aaron in the fifth. So, so Joseph and Aaron, they're higher than Christ. Uh, we travel to the sixth heaven, he meets Moses. He gets to the seventh heaven, he, he meets Muhammad, and then finally he, he meets God. So on the strength of this hadith, which nobody witnessed, he was alone by himself, there's no witness to this, but on the strength of this, the Muslims claim the right to Jerusalem. And so that's why you know they're conquering all of this land all around uh, Israel. Uh, and all this land has been conquered on the strength of the fact that Muhammad went to heaven on a white horse called Thunder and, and got this uh, authorization from God that he, in fact, is the prophet of God. And, and on the way, by the way, he, he meets Jesus in the second heaven. So fascinating. So we don't know how all of this is going to play out. Uh, the, the collusion between Islam and the Pope we're working our way through this, but I would like to tell you and ask you to write for, if you haven't written already, for Bill Watson's book, Islam, A Prophetic Consideration. I think that we just have not been uh, looking carefully enough at Islam, and this thing has been bubbling up for hundreds of years. Uh, he went forth conquering and to conquer, uh, pretending that he is, in fact, the, the, the replacement for Christ. And, uh, and through deception, has uh, really mobilized these armies uh, to do his bidding. I think we need to understand what is the role of Islam in prophecy. And this book, uh, well, well researched uh, Islam, a prophetic consideration, uh, just write to info at cgi.org, info at cgi.org, or you can go on our website and go in the uh, search box and, and look for that. So back to the scripture now. <clears throat> we will see here 
I, actually, I do, I do want to just go back and mention here in Genesis, with that go forth conquering and conquer, we've, we've seen this before with Nimrod, when the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And I think that's what I think of when it says go forth conquering and to conquer, where Nimrod made up this false religion that authorized him, gave him the right to have military power over the, the, the nations or over the people around him and to have this uh, control, totalitarian control over everyone uh, through this false religion. And so this first horseman in the white horse represents a, a, a deceptive um, belief system that authorizes this military conquest. Now we come to verse three. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, or sorry, the second living creature say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And so when this horse rides now, and, and, and we have to see these as working together. So the first horseman rides out, he's full of deception, he's conquering, he's kind of reconfiguring the earth. As a result of that horse riding, the second horse is now released, and he takes peace from the earth. And so we can expect now as we're heading, we're going to hear wars and rumors of wars as Christ taught us, and uh, we're, we're heading into world war. Uh, and so this peace is taken from the earth, and it's not just um, in, in terms of war, but we're also going to see it, and we are seeing it now, in terms of civil unrest. So we're going to see within nations there's unrest, and then among nations there's unrest. So there's this spirit of evil going through the earth that's just stirring people up to be uh, just groomed for uh, military conquest, for civil unrest. And so that's what we're seeing now with this red horse. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So the first one has a bow, this one has a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you do not hurt the oil and the wine. So now what we see as a result of all of this war, uh, we see famine. And that's kind of a natural thing that a consequence of, of this unrest and, and war on the earth is that now we see economic uh, hardship and we see famine. And, and, and this is why food has to be measured very carefully. Now remember, again, who's on the scene here? What is this all about? God is pursuing his covenant people and he is driving them to, the, to repentance. And at the end of this process, his covenant people either repent and, and come into his fellowship or they don't and they are driven away. So let's, so let's understand that that's the agenda. And we can see that if we go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 4, and the Lord said, even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles. So here we have this kingdom of Israel that should have been glorious, that the whole world should be looking to. And instead they've been conquered and they've been scattered and they've been taken captive and they've been exiled from the land. And God promises that they shall eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles where I will drive them. God will personally drive them among the Gentiles. Dropping down to verse 16 of chapter 4. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care, and they shall drink water by measure and with astonishment. So that's the agenda. God is driving his people to repentance, his covenant people to, repent, to repentance. And if this is what it takes, this is what it takes. But we know that ultimately the outcome will be good because we're going to see uh, on Wednesday when we cover uh, God willing chapter 7, we're going to see that uh, a great many of God's people do repent. His covenant people do repent. And they shall drink water by measure and with astonishment. So that's what the famine is all about. Now we come to verse 7 of verse 7 of um, chapter 6 in Revelation. And when he opened the fourth seal, 
I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. And so he comes to see. And I looked, and behold, a green horse. That, that word pale is uh, better translated uh, green. You can see it means chl it's chloros, as we say, like chlorophyll. So chloros, and it means green. So I saw a green horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And the grave followed with him. So now when this horse is released, there, is de there are dead bodies everywhere. This, this, this horse is out to kill and just take men's lives. And power, this is interesting, power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. So power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword. So we already saw the red horseman was given a great sword. But here now this horseman is, is given the, the authority to kill with sword and with hunger and with death. And here now this is the beasts of the earth. This is a different beast. This is a therion. And this means wild animals. So Zoan was what the angels are, living creatures. These are wild animals. So, so these, are, these beasts actually represent kingdoms of the earth that are going to tear apart God's people. And, and he's been given this power. Now, I used to read this, and I think there's two ways that we can read this. I used to read this as um, power was given unto them over 25% of the earth. So I used to read this as 25% of mankind will be wiped out. So we have 8 billion people on the planet, uh, 2 billion people will be wiped out. And that will leave 6 billion. And then a third of those will be wiped out later. That will be another 2 billion. That will leave 4 billion. And then 50% of mankind will... So that will be another 2 billion that would leave 2 billion. But um, another way, an alternate way we could read this, I think, is power was given unto them over 25% of the earth... And that 25% of the earth will work together with this uh, horseman and the other horsemen to kill the rest of mankind or, or to kill mankind. So 25% of the population will be under some kind of influence or spell that they are doing the bidding of, of, of the devil as opposed to 25% of mankind being killed. So I think uh, when you look at the Greek, it could go either way. It's, uh, it's not clear uh, which way to read this, but we do know that this is the rider death and uh, the grave follows him so many people are going into the grave as a result of this beast now it is interesting and again we don't know exactly how this is going to unfold and the role of Islam with the Roman Catholic Church but it is interesting that these four horsemen uh, do have the colors of the Islamic countries if you look at the flags of these Islamic countries they're black red white and green and, and so, and, and Islam is certainly playing an increasing role on the earth. So we need to be looking at Islam. And again, I'm going to really urge you, if you have not read this book, it's well-researched, a well-written Islam, a prophetic consideration. Somehow we have to understand how, how does Islam fit into the prophecies. It cannot be ignored anymore. It's gaining ground in all these countries. And the other question we want to ask is, why is Islam so popular with Western democracies? Why are countries that are founded on Judeo-Christian principles giving themselves over to Islam, uh, inviting Islam, uh, uh, Muslim migrants in by the hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, some cases millions, and uh, giving them a free pass that despite some of the um, troubles that they're facing, uh, they're being let off, uh, they're not being sentenced properly, they're just being given a free hand. And, and I'd like to propose that those elite that are in control of these Western democracies, they hate Christianity. They cannot stand Christianity. And they are doing everything they can, whether it's the homosexual agenda, the transgender agenda, just sexual immorality, uh, period, uh, all the movies, everything that we see today that's just pure filth, uh, and Islam. They're throwing everything at society in order to root out this foundation of our Judeo-Christian principles. Um, take a listen to this. Truth from it. The world is full of origin myths and creation myths and myths of all kinds, and many of them are 
very beautiful. But what worries me about the Bible is that it has acquired in our civilization an enormous privileged position. I mean, everybody knows something about the Greek myths and the, and the Valhalla myths and so on, and some other myths as well. Mm. And they are interesting and they're treated as interesting myths. But the Bible myths are given a special privileged treatment. I mean, they are, uh, they're regarded as somehow set off on one side away from all these other myths. No doubt you'll find truths in the other myths. You'll find some truths of that kind in yes, Australian but, Aboriginal myths. Yes, although I'm looking for God. Well, which God? I mean, why not Jupiter? Why not Zeus? Why not, why not Thor? Yes, I, I think that... Truthfully. Yes, applause, applause. I mean, it's just so wonderful. Why not Jupiter? Why not Zeus? Why not Thor? Uh, there's just this despising of the privileged position that the Bible has in Western society. And so these elite intellectuals are doing everything they can to root out Christianity and the Bible from society. And they're really um, gaining ground with our youth. And so we have to be very careful in terms of uh, they're uh, asexual set off morality with our youth, away from all and B, we need to be no teaching them the Bible, truths in the other myths. so that when these false religions that kind are being brought into the schools, yes, our kids have the wherewithal to say, well, no, that's God? not true, I mean, why here's why that's not true, and they have counter-arguments which are solid. Right now, I think that the, the Christian children in schools, they do not have clear counter clear counter-arguments, and so that's... That's something that we have to make sure that we uh, focus on, that we understand what's happening, we understand the agenda, and we're prepared uh, to work with it, or, or work against it, I should say. So let's go back now to uh, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, so we've seen the four horsemen now. And uh, actually, I do want to just emphasize this with this fourth one. Uh, with all four actually again we need to be clear what is the agenda what is going on here and let's go back to jeremiah to see this where jeremiah in chapter 15 he says and it shall come to pass if they say unto you where shall we go forth then you shall tell them so the children of israel are asking where shall we go then shall you tell them thus says the lord such as for death to death such as are for the sword to the sword and such as are for the famine, to the famine. And such as for the captivity, to the captivity. And I will appoint over them four kinds, says the Lord. So we see these four horsemen. And God is saying here through Jeremiah, there are four kinds of punishment that God himself personally is going to appoint over the covenant people. And I will appoint over them four kinds, says the Lord. The sword to slay, the, the, the wild animals to tear, and the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And in chapter 24, he says, And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them, till they be destroyed, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. So God is very, very serious about the land. When, when he gave this land, there were conditions for them to be in the land and be successful in the land. And if we go back to Deuteronomy, we can see what those conditions are. And as they continue to break all of the conditions, the terms that allowed them to be in the land, God then was bound to do what he said in Deuteronomy, and that is to exile for them from the land. And so that's what we see happening here, where he says now, uh, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence among them until they be consumed from off the land, that I gave unto them and to their fathers. And again in Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten. They are so evil. Now let's look at what the prophet Ezekiel says. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem. So, so the focus is Jerusalem, but God's people are all over the, the earth. So these four horsemen are going to be going through, galloping throughout the whole earth, looking for the covenant people. And yes, the rest of mankind is going to get caught up, but that's casual, what do you call that, collateral damage. But the focus here is on Jerusalem. I will send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, just what Jeremiah saw. The sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. 
Now, we know that ultimately, this is all good news. And so uh, we can read through Hosea that ultimately, God promises, and, and this is the thing that we have to teach our Muslim brothers and sisters, that yes, Judah is evil. Yes, Israel is evil. But they're God's people. And God is faithful. And because he has made this unconditional covenant with Abraham, and, and he is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham through Israel, that here we can read through Hosea, he writes, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. So that fourth horseman that we saw riding was death. And the grave followed after him, and he's hunting down God's covenant people. But then God says here through Hosea, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. The grave will no longer have power over them. We know through Ezekiel, the valley of the, the dry bones, that they will be redeemed from the, from the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. So death is a plague now, but God is going to be a plague to death, that the, the death will be destroyed. O grave, I will be your destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So God is, uh, you know, and again we can read in 1 Corinthians 15, that ultimately death will be destroyed. And God will not change his mind, that the, the death, second death will end death, and then it's eternal life. There'll be no such thing as death after that. And so that's what we can look forward to. And so these four horsemen are going to cause a lot of destruction. There's going to be um, a focus on Jerusalem and a focus on God's people wherever they are. And there's going to be these four different types of judgment that are going to come down on them. And then there's going to be a lot of um, uh, collateral damage. There's going to be a lot of human beings that just have no clue what's going on. But the people of God, we need to know what's going on. And we need to be proclaiming the gospel to God's people, to God's covenant people. We need to be calling them to repentance. And then we need to be warning the rest of mankind and inviting them as well through the gospel message to repent. Coming back to chapter 6, verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, so now he's going to open this fifth seal. And when he opens the fifth seal, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God so remember what we said God has an agenda here God has an agenda and on the stage are his people his covenant people who are rebellious but also on the stage are his covenant people who are faithful who are the ecclesia, who are the called out ones. And the book of Revelation begins with God writing personally to his churches, warning us to be overcomers, warning us to be focusing on our works and to do the will of God. And that's what we saw when we were reading Luke, that we must do the will of God and we must go to God and pray for him for the Holy Spirit so that we are empowered to do the will of God without fear. But now, in doing the will of God, we are proclaiming the word of God. It has a price. It has a price. And we need to be faithful and fear him, not those who are threatening us with death. And so he says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Why were they slain? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Somebody's trying to take it away from them. They're not letting go. And they are proclaiming faithfully the word of God as a witness and as a warning. And so the gospel is being preached. And they suffer for it. And they're slain. Now this is symbolic. So there's an altar and the souls are under the altar. And, and this is a sweet uh, incense to God. But it's all symbolic. But it does say, what it is saying is, as a result of these four horsemen riding, the souls that are faithful to God are martyred. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long? How long, O Lord, holy and true? Do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So what we, what we get from this is this is taking a while. 
This is not an instant thing. So these horsemen start riding. They, they're, they're chaos and, and the casualties are everywhere. The people of God are in the midst of this. No, there isn't a rapture. You know, this, this teaching that, oh, you know, we'll just be raptured away and we won't have to worry about any of this. This is a terrible teaching. Uh, what we need to do is stare this down, stare, the, stare this evil down and, and be prepared to preach the word of God no matter what. Because our lives are hidden Christ. And, and we understand we have eternal life. And that's what we are laying hold on to. Uh, but these people who are thinking, you know what, I don't have to face any of this. I'll be raptured away. Uh, they're going to get a real shock. And they're not going to be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically prepared for what's coming. But we need to be prepared for the hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And so when the worst comes, we're not shocked. We're not disoriented. We're not uh, disillusioned. We're not off our game. Uh, we, we, we are expecting the worst. We've, we can read it. That's why it's such a blessing to, to be able to see all of this ahead of time. So what happens now, <clears throat> the scripture says, they're, they're asking how long. It's giving the sense here, this is taking a long time. Like, really? How much longer? And so, it's, again, it's symbolic. They're not really saying this. We're not going to actually see this anywhere. But it is a symbol that shows that God's people are exercising patience. But the patience is beginning to run out. How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So these are really evil people. And we know that God is going to act, but he's, going to, he's not going to act right away because he's trying to save as many souls as possible. And so what we see next now is white robes were given unto every one of them. Every single one of them were given white robes. This could be symbolic of our new body. It's certainly symbolic of righteousness, of God accounting us as righteous. White robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, so a little longer, until their fellow servants also and their brethren. So there seems to be two categories here, fellow servants and brethren. I'm not sure if this means, you know, the covenant people. Uh, as well as the uh, people who are ho Holy Spirit oriented. I I'm just not quite sure 100% of that, but it seems like there's two categories. Their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So again, there's this sense of, oh, we're going to be raptured, where the scripture is saying the exact opposite. And it's actually an honor. It's actually, this is the, this is the way we have to really think and understand that. It's a great honor. It's a great honor to stand for Christ, to witness for Christ, and if necessary, if needs be, uh, to die for Christ. This is a great honor. And this is the way we have to think, as opposed to nothing, I, I'm not going to be hurt in any way. I'm just going to be whisked off to heaven. And then when all the bad stuff is over, then I'll come back down to earth because I'm just so special, nothing can happen to me. Uh, that's not the way we should think. We should think Christ is so special. And he has done so much for us. We are just so willing to do anything uh, for him. So let's come back now. This is the fifth seal. Um, and again, as, as this, I just want to remind us that we're not going to see these martyrs in heaven making these statements. It's all symbolic. And we saw that right at the beginning that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it made it symbolic so he sent and signified it. it it means to make indications to make signs to make it symbolic by his angel unto his servant john so those martyrs are a symbol and we have to just remember as we go through revelation we're going to see these symbols now now we come to verse 12. now we come to verse 12 and this is the sixth seal which is a very significant seal. So we had the four horsemen, we had the martyrs, and now this is what they have been waiting for. How much longer, Lord? Well, here it is. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. This is a massive earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So this is like a great cosmic sandwich. 
you know, these mighty men, these powerful people have been exercising their will all over the earth, having their way, having their way with God's people. What they see now is they've lost control. The earth, I haven't been in an earthquake, but I'm told it is absolutely terrifying when the ground that you walk on is you've, you just have no control. And, and it's just, you know, you, anything can happen. Buildings are falling on you. You, you have no control. Uh, when, when an earthquake's right. At the same time, they're seeing these signs in the heavens where again they have no control. And now this is when God acts. And this is again underlining that that first horseman that comes out in with the white horse. Uh, that is not Christ. Christ does not act until now. And this is what we will look in uh, Matthew 24. Uh, we should really read Matthew 24 alongside Revelation 6 that this is what he tells them to look for when they're asking, you know, what, when shall be the sign of your coming and the, the end of the age? And he's telling them, be patient, be patient, be patient, but look for this, the signs in the heavens, that this is when God is beginning to act and this is when mankind loses control. And this, again, is something that the prophets all saw. They were prophesying of it. Haggai says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. This is going to be a massive shaking of the earth that God is angry. And these evil men who thought they were in control are going to lose complete control. They're going to, lose, they're going to completely lose control. Uh, Isaiah said, I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Joel says, the earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. So evil men are used to punish God's people, but then God himself now is going to punish these evil men. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And again Isaiah, And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falls off the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. So all these prophets are seeing the same thing, and it's all now happening finally here in Revelation 6. Continuing in verse 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. I mean, what kind of... Uh, cosmic energy is taking place here that all the mountains are being flattened and moved out of their place this is a violent shaking of the earth and you can just imagine uh, how it, much it reflects God's anger and God's wrath and you can just imagine people who were previously in very powerful positions inflicting their judgments on, on uh, uh, helpless and vulnerable people you can just imagine how terrified they're going to be when when the Lord finally acts, when his exer when his patience runs out, and he now acts on behalf of his people. So he says here, the mountains. Nahum saw the same thing. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yes, the world and all that dwell therein. In Revelation six fifteen saying the kings of the earth and the great men. So we, we saw these kings of the earth previously, these great leaders, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, all these guys making all these powerful decisions and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. They've lost control. They're no longer in these privileged positions. And even uh, King David saw this. For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. They saw it, and they, so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. So this is where we as the saints have to understand that these prophecies will come to pass. And these evil men, who are going to be very, very powerful men, uh, we just have to leave them to God. Uh, at the same time, we have to preach the gospel and preach the warning. Uh, we have to give them this warning message. So he says here, 
Uh, oh, sorry, Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 2, verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So as opposed to this time just ahead of us where there's going to be all these powerful men, uh, powerful leaders, they're all going to be brought down when this sixth seal is revealed. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. And that's exactly what we saw, if you'll remember, um, in Luke, when we were studying Luke and Isaiah 61, that, that the prophecy about Christ was that he was going to lift the lowly and he was going to bring the mighty down. And so this is finally how we see that coming to pass. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. All the prophets uh, saw this end time and John is now seeing it very, very clearly. And all these prophecies are converging here in the book of Revelation. Continuing with Isaiah, therefore shall all hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one at another, one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Back to Revelation 6. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So they would rather face anything except the wrath of the lamb and it's it's amazing to see that the lamb has wrath so the lamb we see normally as this this uh, being that is uh, domestic it's it was willing to be sacrificed he opened not his mouth as he was being led to slaughter but now they're facing his wrath hosea says the high places also of avon the sin of israel shall be destroyed the thorn and the thistle shall come upon their altars and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So even the Israelites now that have not repented, that are part of this uh, global elite, uh, you know, you think of men like Karl Marx, who are responsible for so much evil in this world, and, and this is a Jewish man, this is part of the covenant community, uh, and others, you know, Sigmund Freud, I could go on and on, uh, many of them being covenant people. Uh, if they don't repent, here we see that this wrath of God that comes down finally to destroy wicked men, it includes these evil men of Israel. Verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And this is exactly what we see King David saying this, and, and Joel, uh, Jeremiah as well. You, even you, are to be feared, and who may stand in your sight when once you are angry? Jeremiah said, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Nahum says, who can stand before his indignation? Again, no one can stand. When, the, when God acts, no one can stand before his wrath. And who can abide in the fierce, fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and it hastes greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by fire, by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of them that dwell in the land. And again, we'll, most of us are familiar with Malachi. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, 
and like Fuller's soap. And so he's going to refine the sons of Levi. So this whole process, it's actually a, a good process. It has a good outcome because God's people will finally repent and they will be refined and they'll be ready to make a pure offering toward him. I'm just going to quickly go through now uh, Matthew 24 as we really should read it alongside Revelation 6. The two go together. Matthew 24 and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, where he's going to return, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So this is this white horse, this horse of deception. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And then the next one, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is the red horse. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, so peace will be taken from the earth. And there shall be famines and pestilences. So again, we see now the black horse and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. So this is the martyrdom now. And shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And this verse 10, I'll tell you, that verse 10 frightens me. Uh, when I first started to um, look at these prophecies, and I noticed this, this uh, prophecy here in verse 10, I just I couldn't believe my eyes. That, that many shall betray one another. We're going to be offended. Uh, that, that love has not been perfected in us. Because when love is perfected in us, uh, we are not offended. We, we have this self-sacrificing love, which is supernatural. And that's why God says, if you cannot love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? Because it's not about the object of the love, it's about what's inside us. And it doesn't matter. We love our enemies because God, when we were his enemies, he loved us. And that's the kind of love that we have to be developing. And if we have not been developing that love in the time that's ahead of us, uh, we're going to end up betraying one another because we're going to be offended. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be very uh, self-oriented. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound. So we're coming into a time now where sinfulness is everywhere. The love of many shall wax cold. Fortunately, that's the agape love of God's people, waxing cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And that's why it's so important that we read these prophecies. We face the worst news head on. We, we pray for the Holy Spirit and we ground ourselves so that we can endure to the end. Let's not fool ourselves and tell ourselves, oh, we're going to have the rapture. We're going to be in heaven. We're not going to have to face anything. And then when times get tough, we just are not prepared. Uh, so we need to have this emergency preparedness mindset. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So uh, we're going to see later on that angels are going to be preaching this gospel. The two witnesses are going to be preaching this gospel. But what we just saw in Revelation 6 is uh, the martyrs of God. Those witnesses of God being martyred for the testimony and that they held and for the word of God. And so in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this uh, flexing of muscle, from these evil empires God's people are preaching the gospel and they're preaching it boldly and and all around the world and we're going to see next uh, on Wednesday actually when we do Revelation 7 that multitudes of all nations repent and so the preaching is effective <clears throat> and so here actually I just wanted to call it out here now in chapter 14 uh, where we get there, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come 
and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So the angels are going to even help us. But we have to be saying this now with a loud voice. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And so I, I think I'll just skip through this for now. We can get through this. It's just this was the uh, abomination of desolation. But back to Revelation. Uh, sorry, Matthew twenty-four. Uh, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So they are the target. This is this is really God is driving His people to repentance. And so there's these armies are going to be surrounding Jerusalem. And if you're in Judea, it, God, the, the Jews that are there have to flee. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field turn back to take his clothes, and woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. So these people are merciless, and we see that. We can compare this with uh, Zechariah chapter 12, uh, 12 and 14 actually, to see the ruthlessness with which uh, Jerusalem is going to be treated. But pray you that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation. So these four horsemen are riding through the earth and it's a time of great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be and except those days should be shortened so this is now the sixth seal when we see the great earthquake and, and the signs in the heavens that's God shortening these days but if he didn't do it there should no flesh be saved and that I really believe is no flesh of the covenant people that they would just completely destroy God's people. But God has promises outstanding to Israel. And so it's impossible for Satan to get the upper hand and for, for his covenant people to be destroyed because he's going to fulfill his promises through his covenant people. And we're going to see that in Revelation chapter 7 when we have this quick interlude. But for the elect's sake, so again, for the covenant people, for their sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So this is going to be a great time of deception. Again, that white horse is riding, and, and he's deceiving many, many people. Behold, I've told you beforehand, so we should know beforehand. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. And that's something that sort of jumped off the page to me, that there's some people who are in the desert claiming that Christ is with them. And uh, again, when we saw earlier um, this, this notion that you know Muhammad went up on a white horse to heaven, came back down, and so that gives them the right to Jerusalem and it gives them the right to uh, all of the Middle East. And, and um, they're claiming, oh, he's in the desert. Don't go forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, in this way shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So, so the whole place is going to be in darkness. And when Christ descends, it's going to be like the sun rising. This, that, that's the light that's coming. And the whole earth is going to rotate and see this light descending. And so that's the way it's going to be. It's not going to be like, oh, he's here, but nobody else knows or it's secret. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered. So... Wherever he is, this, this lamb that sacrificed himself, his people will be gathered to him. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. So that's what's going to happen. We saw that in the sixth seal. So after the tribulation, we see the sixth seal. That's when everything's darkened and then Christ returns. And the star shall fall from heaven. We just saw, read that. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall the sign of the Son of Man, uh, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So we should not be deceived that these signs, that this um, mankind loses control with this great earthquake, this great shaking, uh, this, this, uh, the signs, the sun darkening, the moon turning to blood, this, the stars falling from heaven. When we see this complete lack of control from mankind and God intervening supernaturally now that's when we look for the return of christ uh, we're not listening to anybody that says he comes before that and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn 
and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And that's what we're looking forward to. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. So he says, you know, where the carcass is, um, there the eagles or there the vultures shall be gathered. That's what he's showing here, that there'll be this great trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. So, so there are others that are going to be falling asleep, not, not realizing how close it is. We should be watching. We're watching, and when we see all these things, we realize just how near it is. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And we know from numbers that a generation in God's reckoning is about 40 years. The Lord's anger was kindled against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all that generation which had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And so when all of this happens now, it's going to be about 40 years, but there's going to be a remnant that comes through that 40 years so that God can fulfill his promises to Israel. And that's why it's important that that generation sees everything so that they can bear witness to God's faithfulness in fulfilling all the promises that are outstanding to Israel and Judah. So that's Revelation chapter 6.